Mark chapter 14. We've been following the last week of Jesus' life here on earth, his ministry here on earth. And it says in verse 1, Now the Passover and the festival and leavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. The festival of the Passover and of unleavened bread, there, uh, the Passover was held once a year to remember how God delivered the people of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. If you'd remember, if you remember, um, Joseph was sold as, by his brothers as a slave, got thrown into the pit, you know, they pulled him out, took him all the way over to Egypt. And God raised him up and became second in command in Egypt and, and avoided a, a great, great uh, problem with the famine that came. So people be, were blessed. And as a result, uh, the Jews moved to that land. The 12 brothers, or the 11 brothers, moved there and they started to have kids. And before you know it, there were so many people in Egypt, so many Jews in Egypt. Well, there came a pharaoh that had forgotten that about Joseph and how he had blessed the people. And he was concerned, because there were many of them, that if they decided to turn against us, they probably could overtake us, so let's subject them to bitter labor and slavery. And so they did. And the Jews were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. That's longer than we've been a nation, you know? It's a long time for people to be, to be under bondage. And so it came time crying out to the Lord, and the Lord decided to send a deliverer, Moses. And he delivered them. Remember the ten plagues that God had sent. Hey, let my people go. No, I'm not going to, Pharaoh says. All right, here's plague one. Oh, it's so bad. Okay, you can go. No, wait, come back. And they did this nine times. Well, the tenth time was the worst plague of all. And what would happen is God was going to send uh, the destroyer, through the city to, to kill the firstborn son of every person in the land who did not have the blood of a lamb on their doorpost. And it was this that the Jews remember and they celebrated and thought of that every year they gathered together for the Passover. That as they took that lamb and as they killed that lamb for their family, remembering of, of their sin. It had to be atoned for. They took that blood. They put it on their doorpost. Remembering back that on that night, several thousand years earlier, that angel of death came through there and he killed every firstborn male who didn't have the blood of the lamb on the door. But if they had the blood of the lamb on the door, he passed over them. And here we are, during this time when everybody who was a Jew gathered together in Jerusalem, it was packed. It was required that every male within 15 miles had to attend, and people would come from all over the place. And so probably several hundred thousand people converging on Jerusalem at this time to celebrate this Passover On the 10th of the month, this festival began. That 10th was a Sunday. And it was then that the people were to choose this lamb that would be sacrificed. 
It was interesting that lamb would be presented unblemished. It couldn't have any broken bones. It couldn't have anything wrong with it. You know, you can't give any three-legged lambs and all that type of stuff. It had to be a young one. It had to be perfect. And here, that Sunday, Jesus presented himself as he walked into Jerusalem. The Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. And on the 14th, of the month, the actual Passover, four days later, the families would actually sacrifice that lamb and put all the put the blood of the lamb on the doors, as the you know scriptures commanded in remembrance. They would have their seder meal, and the chief priests and, and the teachers of the law they were scheming to arrest Jesus, but they didn't want him to die during the Passover. Well, guess what? God had other plans. When did Jesus die? The Passover lamb was sacrificed on Passover. And his blood causes God's wrath to pass over us. Not just once a year, but forever. It's precious blood on the doors of our hearts. And they missed it. But notice the hearts of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They wanted to hide their dealings with, for fear of the people. Notice that? They feared what the people thought. They wanted to hide everything. They were concerned that what the people thought instead of what God thought. Anybody, anybody like that? They were looking for the opportunity to take out Jesus quietly so that the attention of the people would be focused back upon them, not upon Jesus. They're hungry for attention and authority and for people looking at them. And so this is a, a sub-theme as we go ahead here. And while he was in Bethany, it says, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar, of very expensive perfume made of nard or spike nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Remember Bethany, this is where Mary... Martha and Lazarus lived up there on the hill, the Mountain of Olives, little community up there. He had friends there, and obviously he was in the house of some guy named Simon the leper. My guess is probably Simon the former leper, but uh, probably not to get confused with Simon, Simon, um, Peter Simon, Simon Peter. <sighs> Lord help me. While they're reclining, a woman came with an alabaster jar, very expensive perfume, and poured it over Jesus' head. This wasn't Old Spice. She didn't break out the Old Spice. And, you know, it was costly, as we will see in just a minute. Spice was probably imported imported from India. It was held in an alabaster jar. It talks about the expense of the actual container that was in, as well as the product that was inside of it. It was very, very precious. And she didn't want to withhold any of it. But she poured it all over his head, and it went all over his body. And John tells us that she went down and she wiped, she wet, uh, wiped his feet with her hair. And he also tells us that this was Mary, Mary and Martha. She loved Jesus. And some of those present were saying, verse 4, indignantly to one another, why, this is a waste of perfume. It could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Harshly. 
In man's eyes, it was a total waste. A, more than a year's wage. How would you like to work for a year? Crack. Pour it all out. That's a lot of value being poured out there. You know, and the disciples, they, they did not like they did not like this, and especially Judas. We see here the guy that was really concerned, the guy who said that it was more than a year's wage was actually Judas Iscariot, the other gospels teach. Jesus wasn't concerned for the poor. His was concerned as though it could be sold, and the money could be put in the public purse, which he held and he stole from. He wasn't concerned at all for the poor. He was a thief, John twelve six tells us. And it seems like some of the other disciples, they agreed and, and rebuked him harshly. That's what man thought. But it isn't what man thinks, is it? It's what God thinks. What a contrast from the religious leaders, don't you agree? What a contrast. It's about, you know, with the religious leaders, it's about what people perceive of them. Every move they made, how they prayed, the clothes they wore, the, the items they used, the way they walked, the, you know? It was all about how people perceived them. It wasn't aimed to please the Lord. It was about how, you know, people would direct their worship towards Him. With Mary, it was all about Jesus and how He saw her. It was about how Jesus was looking at her heart. What would be pleasing to Him? And I'm sure everything she did and everything she wore and everything, the way she looked and the way she prayed would just try to please his heart. And she probably gave the most costly item she had, she possessed, and poured it all out upon him. Would you do the same? Would I do the same? A waste in man's eyes, but in Jesus' eyes, precious. Verse 6, Jesus said, Hey, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you are always going to have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Again, Jesus pointing them back towards the cross. You can make a great comparison between Judas and Mary. I like this. Mary did for Jesus what she could, but Judas got, with, got from Jesus what he could. You ever notice that? Mary gave willingly to Jesus at great cost, but Jesus sold, uh, Judas sold uh, Jesus for just a little bit of money. Mary was criticized, but Judas was the critic. Judas will be remembered for total betrayal. Mary will be remembered for total devotion. Truly, I tell you, verse 9, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And when Jesus says it, it happens. Today, 2,000 years later, the gospel is being preached and who is being remembered? Right now, his words are coming true. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, 
Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now, the Jewish day begins at sundown. So, it would be probably our, our Wednesday evening, their Thursday morning. Um, if you ever try to get gas in College Place, you understand this concept. <laughs> so, he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house, uh, I'm sorry, say to the owner of the uh, house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left and went into the city and found things just as Jesus, Jesus had told them. No wonder. And so they prepared the Passover. And when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining at the table and eating, he said, Truly, truly, I tell one of you, will betray me, one who is sitting and eating with me. And they were saddened. And one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me, or is it I? It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips his bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. It's at this point that Jesus tells Judas to go ahead and do what you must do. And Judas, Judas uh, leaves the room on John's account. And the disciples really still don't have a clue what is going on. Judas concealed that so well. How easy it is for, you know, for us to hide our true motives and who we really are. But Jesus knew. You know, our brothers and sisters around us might you know, go, oh man, isn't that, aren't they the greatest, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Jesus knows what's really going on in our hearts. Jesus knows who we really are. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread. I find it interesting that Judas left the room, and then Jesus begins to modify the Passover meal into what we now know as communion. There wasn't fellowship with darkness. There wasn't fellowship with evil. And he left the room, and then Jesus began to have communion or Passover with them. And when he had said it, he gave thanks, verse 22, and he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink in the new kingdom of God. And it wasn't until on the cross when it was finished that he took that uh, gall with uh, whatever it was. And at the Passover meal, everything was symbolic for the Jew. The bread was the bread of the affliction. The male in charge of the home as they're having this Seder meal, this Passover meal would say, this is the bread of affliction. And he'd break it, you know, and give it. And then he, some custom is that they give a little bit and they hide it away for a while and they bring it back. Kind of interesting. Jesus was hidden for a bit. The bitter herbs was uh, the bitterness of slavery. The egg was a symbol of new life. The salt water were the tears The freshly sacrificed lamb with the blood on the doorpost reminded them of the Passover and their sins that were overlooked because of the blood of the lamb on the door. So Jesus took that bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, that bread of affliction, saying, take it, it's my body that is broken for you. 
you know, I'm afflicted for you. And he took the cup and he gave it, gave it to them and they drank from it. This is the blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many. The new covenant, the covenant of grace. The only one who institutes a covenant in the Bible is God. And here is the Son of God, God in the flesh, sitting right there. The first one was with Abraham. They sacrificed animals. They cut it apart. There was blood. This covenant wasn't done with the blood of bulls and goats. It was done with the blood of the Son of God. He himself was being sacrificed. He was the lamb that was going to be cut. The blood of the new covenant. Drink this. It's been poured out for many. He knew what was coming. That his sacrifice would be the one and only one that would take away man's sins. The only sacrifice that would cause God to pass over our sins. Actually, it makes those who believe it who appropriate it white as snow, God says. Remember that verse? Though your sins were as scarlet, I made them white as snow. Jesus paid it all, you know? All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. When they had sung a hymn, verse 26, they went to the Mount of Olives. Jesus sang. We just really quickly, we pop, we just go right over that verse. Jesus sang. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't often think about Jesus singing. Do you? You know, I mean, it's just not, not happening in my mind. <laughs> it, yeah, no guitar. You know, it's probably very interesting. He probably didn't have a spectacular voice. Because the scriptures say there was nothing about him that would draw us to him. The way he looked, the way he was. It was just that spirit, that heart, pouring out of him, flowing out of him, that probably just lit up the room. Singing to the Lord, who knows, maybe he was off key. Going a little bit flat here and there. Probably not. Lord, please forgive me. But I mean, you know what I mean? Do you know there are over 40 different passages in the Psalms that show us how God's love, how God loves to be honored by singing? If you look in your bulletin, if you open it and look on the right side, I put a little passage there by Pastor David Guzik. He put this together and I just thought it was appropriate. Just the command for us to sing to the Lord. How the Lord loves it when we sing to Him. Notice he didn't say what it sounds like. He loves that heart that overflows to Him. He's created within each of us the capacity to worship in that way. And He commands us to but I don't want to worship that way. Well, I don't either sometimes. Do you think Jesus wanted to sing a hymn at this point? Do you know what was going on? He was ready to go to the cross that night. And yet he sang to the Lord. He sang a hymn, as is, you know, 
as is the custom after the Passover. After the Passover meal ended, they'd always sing three psalms known as the Hallel Psalms, found in Psalm 116 and 117 and 118, right? They would sing through these to the Lord as part of their tradition. And you can read those through if you want, but you know, if Jesus sang, I think we should too, no matter what you sound like. It's not about how we want to worship God. It's about how he wants to be worshipped. So, wrestle with God. Now Jesus heads with the disciples early Thursday morning, you know. They're probably on their way over to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the bottom side of the Mount of Olives as they just cross over the Kidron Valley there, and Jesus starts to speak to them some pretty serious things here. Verse 27, he starts, You will fall away. Jesus told them, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yes, tonight, even before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said, me too. You know, and I have no doubt that they meant it. They meant it with all their being. I will go with you all the way, Lord Jesus. But they could not accomplish in their flesh what could only be done in the Spirit. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, which means the wine press. Very interesting. Have you ever seen a grape get crushed or an olive get crushed? Not a good thing. And here Jesus is at this place called Gethsemane. And he to- took, spoke to his disciples, sit here while I pray. In verse 33, he took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. I wonder what that would have looked like. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. And we know that the other gospel said what? Watch and pray. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I want, but your will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, heavy with sorrow. They did not know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It's here that Jesus sweat great drops of blood, as it were, going through emotions and spiritual warfare that we will never comprehend. Desiring that the cup would pass for him. Pass. I don't want this. I don't want to die. I don't want to be scourged and have my beard pulled out. And all these. But nevertheless, Father, your will be done. 
Not what I want, but what you want, Lord. Though I die. And notice he takes the three who are closest to him, the three that he's been pouring himself into through all this time and in his greatest hour of need, who does he bring close to him? Peter, James, and John. The ones he brought in the room to resurrect the dead. The one he pulled up and he transfigured himself. They've been with him. They know the story. He wants them to see this. He wants them to be a part of it. He wants them to pray. Watch. And he asked them to keep watching, to pray, that they wouldn't enter into temptation. And when he came back, they were asleep. And they did this three times because they were heavy with sorrow. They were tired, and their emotions got the best of them. I don't know about you, but I relate to these guys, you know? I love Jesus. I absolutely love him. You know, we moved up our family up here for him. Yes, for you, but for him. You know? You know, how I would love to die for him, you know, in my heart of hearts, you know? But I find it hard to even live for him. To wake up and crucify that flesh daily and follow him. How many of you relate? Great intentions, good intentions, but I'm unwilling to crucify my stinking flesh and pray for an hour. Church, you know, how are we to accomplish what Jesus has for us? You know, we're just like our brothers there in the garden, I think most of the time. You know, we're going home for Jesus. We love him. We love one another. But when it comes down to it, we like to sleep. And then we wake up and we start scrambling and we rely upon our flesh to accomplish the things that only could be done in the Spirit. How do people come to Christ? How does the enemy get kicked back? How do we take ground in this city? By organizing and going out there and it starts on our knees. It starts in prayer of watching and praying Sunday nights, Thursday nights, Tuesday mornings, Monday mornings. Getting together with one another randomly and just deciding to pray. Praying with our families, which is hard. I fail. Men, step up. You know, women, you're doing good, but do some more. (laughs) You know what I mean? Continue to lay in. Press hold of the Lord. Lay hold of the Lord. Press in. Jesus told them to watch and to pray, but they slept. They weren't prepared for the trial that was just about to fall upon them. They were overcome with sorrow and their emotions and all these things instead of focusing upon Christ and what he had said to them. It's about to overtake them. Enough, Jesus said. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. 
And just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared, and with him a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. And now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. And going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, which is teacher, and he kissed him. And the men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing nearby drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. You know, Peter, Lord bless him. He always gets to you know, be made the example of. He takes his sword out and cuts off Malchus's ear. You know, and Jesus has to reach down, pick it up, and slap it back on. He goes, hey, come on. <laughs> Peter, put away your sword. When you don't watch and when you don't pray, you end up operating in the flesh instead of the power of the Holy Spirit and you end up cutting people's ears off. The church is running around sometimes with great intentions and all that we're going to do for God, but boy, Lord help us. If it's not bathed in prayer, have we forgotten that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble? Samson kept doing his thing, flirting with sin. Finally, he gave up his secret. And Delilah, she cut that hair. And he went out as he was before, thinking he had the power with him. But it says he did not know that the Spirit had departed from him. He did not know that the Spirit had departed from him. And he went out as he was before, and he got tackled. Mighty Samson. Are we set up to be tackled? Are we going out like we've done before, organizing the way it's always been, or relying upon this and that instead of falling on our faces and relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit for our families and our church and our lives? Business as usual. And Peter could not bring forward the plan of God and his power and his flesh. He was looking for that earthly kingdom. He was planning on Jesus busting it out that night and going to take the throne. He did not get it through his head because he was thinking in the flesh. And what happened? He got blindsided and he got totally rocked. Jesus says to the, the guys that are there, says, am I leading rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then everyone deserted him. We're going to be with you till the end. We're going to do it. We'll even die for you, Lord Jesus. And everybody's scattered, just like the scripture said. And a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. <laughs> Many believe this is John Mark, you know, the author of the, I mean, the person who's penning this, leaving his little signature. I was a kid when this happened, and uh, I ran away naked. <laughs> I wouldn't want to leave my name there either. Then, verse 53, we're going to make it. They took Jesus to the high priests, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the teachers of the law came together, and Peter followed him at a distance. 
right into the courtyard of the high priest, and there he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. Now, John's gospel says that John pretty much knew someone in there, and so they got in. And Peter's following Christ. Not like he was. Now it's at a distance. He sat by the guards and warmed himself at a distance. And the chief priests, verse 55, and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy the temple made with human hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Which was true, right? But yet even their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before Jesus and asked him, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Isaiah 57, 53 verse 7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. And again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. Ego me. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Oh, that's going to be a bad day for them. Then the high priest tore his clothes. Why do you need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. He's equating himself with God. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy as death. Then some begged, uh, sorry, then some began to spit at him. And they blindfolded him. And they struck him with their fists. And they said, prophesy, who's hitting you? And the guards took him and they beat him. This is to put it mildly. Verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know, understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she again, she said again to those standing around, this, this fellow is one of them. And again, he denied it. For a little while, um, those who were standing near Peter said, surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. They could tell from his accent. And he began to call down curses. He started cussing and swearing to them. I swear by so-and-so. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. And then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. It was at that moment when that rooster crowed that his eyes met with Jesus. Crossed the courtyard. Jesus looked at him and he knew. They knew. And Peter broke down. Peter could not follow Jesus in his own strength, church. He could not follow Jesus in his own strength. He wanted to, but he was unable. When it came down to it, he was more concerned about his own well-being instead of his father's will. And we all are. All like sheep have gone astray. 
And Peter failed. And you know what Peter did next after he wept? He went back fishing. I've had it. I'm going back. Going back to what I know. I've had it. I'm just done. Burnt out on Jesus. I'm going to go do what I know how to do. And he went back home right away. But you know what? In a few days, Peter would be on that boat fishing and there would be a man on the shore cooking some fish asking Peter what he had caught. Anything? And of course, the answer would be no. And this man would tell Peter to cast his net on the other side. Peter's heart pounded in his chest as he realized it was Jesus. And he jumped off that boat and he dove and he just swam as hard as he could towards him. You see, even though Peter failed, he knew that nothing else would satisfy him. It was Jesus. Jesus had a good talk with Peter that day and he set him straight. Jesus reminded Peter, after he corrected him, about the call he had on his life. I don't know how many of you failed in the Lord, felt bewildered, far away from him. Like, what is going on here? I just want to go fishing. Jesus reminded him of the call on his life. Jesus has a call upon your life. You cannot accomplish what he wants to do in and through you in the strength of your own flesh. Just wanting to do it isn't going to be good enough. We're not going to make it because we're born again. And that's not the way God made us. Not by might nor by power. You know, it's not the organizing of my armies, but by your spirit, says the Lord. Peter desired to be bold for Jesus. He didn't want to follow at a distance. He wanted to go all out for him because there's no other way to live. All out for Jesus. That's what he wanted. About 50 days after Christ was crucified, on the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon a group of disciples who were gathered in Jerusalem watching and praying. Seeking the Lord, as Jesus had said. They were praying and meeting and seeking the Lord together. Just as Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them in full. And guess who stood up that day before all those leaders and those people that he denied Christ before? In front of those, that same leadership and all that junk. He stood up boldly and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And 2,000 people were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit that day and baptized. That's Peter. That same Peter who desired to be bold was now bold. That same Peter who wanted to live for Jesus lived for Jesus and died for him, even following him. He, he lived a life so fully that when he was crucified, the church history says that he was crucified upside, upside down. I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus was crucified. He was that far in. What's the difference in Peter? The Holy Spirit filling Peter. Enabling Peter to do the work that God had called Peter to do. The scriptures command us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we're leaky. 
we're born again. God's given us his spirit. He says, you want it? You want the Holy Spirit? Ask. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I can live that life that you've called me to live. I cannot live it in the power of my flesh. I have no strength in me. It is you and you only that can live through me to do this work that you want to do. In order for us to live that life in his power, we have to heed the words of Christ. First of all, we must recognize, first off, we need his grace. By grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace upon our life. Watch and pray. Humble ourselves before our Lord. Connect to the vine. Attach to Jesus Christ. And his spirit will begin to fill you. And begin to lead you. And as he speaks to your heart and says, move left, move right, let this go, do this or that, we yield to him and we find that that flowing of the Holy Spirit continues and it fills us more and more. Let's ask God together right now for a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit in our lives. Not because we deserve it or earned it, but because he wants to fill us. Let's pray. Father, my brothers and sisters, and I, we stand here in your grace. We thank you for your son whose blood covers the door of our heart. Thank you for cleansing us of all sin, past, present, and future. We're white as snow in your presence. And Father, as your children, like, like Jesus said, you know, to those who ask, seek, and knock, that if we would ask for the Holy Spirit, you would give it to anyone who just asks. You said you'd pour it out upon our generation, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would bring you glory in our lives, that we would be empowered to live the life that you've called us to live in this valley that sin would no longer reign in our lives, that we would recognize that the power of sin was broken in our lives on that cross. And then now your son lives in and through us, Lord Jesus. Father, your will be done in our lives today. No matter what cup is before us, Father, no matter what we want or we desire or do or do not want or whether we're sleepy or whatever, we ask for you to fill us and to use us for your glory. Change us now, Lord. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen.